some pretty heavy stuff. Let's pray. God, this is your day. These are your people. And today the question that will be raised, are we truly ready? Are we truly your people? Lord, enlighten us today. Remove the clouds of misunderstanding and help us to see the Son of Jesus. Help us to see Him who is the way, the truth, and the light. Let God's people say, Amen. I want to begin by asking a few questions. Can anyone tell me what Dan Turner talked about last week? Does anyone remember? The Ten Commandments. All right, this is, Dan can kind of feel what I go through when I go out there and I ask, can anyone remember what I talked about? The Ten Commandments. Is that what you talked about, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. What specifically did he do when he started his sermon? Do you remember what question he asked? Now we're really going deep. What was that, Nancy? Oh, that's no fair. She's a teacher. She's a good listener. Absolutely correct, Nancy. Dan started with a question. Thank you, John. Um, All week I've been praying that God would give me my voice because I lost my voice on Saturday night. And uh, Sunday it was gone. And then it started to slowly come back during the week. So I'm going to need some water today. The question that Dan began asking is, are you ready for the second coming? And I told Dan before I came up here, you know what? That was the perfect segue to what it is that God wants me to speak about today. If you look at the uh, bulletin, you'll see that it says that the title of the sermon is what? The blessing that no one wants. Now, if you remember, uh, over the last three months, I have been actually going over the series, The Beatitudes. And I have shared with you that these Beatitudes are extremely important because I believe that the Beatitudes confirm what the Ten Commandments say. In fact, you could say that they are the living example, the living example of how we as Christians, Seventh-day Adventists, are called to live our lives. And it's interesting that a lot of it, if not the very center of it, focuses in on the key to being able to obey God's Ten Commandments starts with our attitude. Our attitude. I want you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12. Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12. There we find the eighth and final beatitude that Jesus shared with the people on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I want you to read along with me. You brought your, you brought your uh, <clears throat> weapons, didn't you? You're armed and dangerous. Okay, Margaret is. Are you armed and dangerous? I hope so, because today we're going to find out really if we are. Because today is going to sound out a loud cry to everyone that is in this church. Because the beatitude we are focusing in on is a beatitude that we need to hear this week, right here, right now. Because the time is now. You don't believe me? Sit down and talk with Dan just for a couple of minutes. And you'll see that the signs of the times are clearly dictating to us that the time of Christ's return is here. But before we ask the question, or I should say, as we ask the question, are you prepared for his second coming? We're going to find an interesting question here that arises in Matthew verse 5, verses 10 to 12. Look with me if you have your Bibles. Read along with me. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, before we can truly answer the question, are you ready for the second coming? We should preface it by saying, are you ready to be persecuted? Oh, I know. We don't normally ask that question, do we? When's the last time someone asked you, are you ready to be persecuted? Raise your hands. No, we always ask, are you ready for the Lord's coming? But as Dan mentioned last week, it is important for us to recognize and to know that the Lord is coming now. The time is upon us. But today I get to share with you what is going to happen right before Jesus Christ comes. You see, the Bible tells us that we will endure persecution. And so the question is, that I would like to ask you today. Are you being persecuted? Are you being persecuted? Because if you are not, then it's time that you make things right with God and that you take a stand and that you join and that you look forward to the persecution. Now, Hold up on that because I'm going to explain myself during the sermon. But I want to suggest the following. There are at least six reasons why we cannot ignore this eighth beatitude. And I want to share them with you. If you have your handouts, go ahead and fill them out with me, please. Number one, it's the last beatitude and it serves as a test of all the others. Did you get that? The eighth beatitude is actually a test to see if you've actually passed the first seven. We'll get into that in a second. You see, persecution is as much a normal mark of discipleship as being merciful. Second reason. It is the longest beatitude because it's the hardest to embrace. Number three, it's the only beatitude with a command. And the command is what? Rejoice and what? And be glad. Number four, it's the only beatitude with an explanation. It's the only beatitude with an explanation. Number five, It's the only beatitude that is repeated twice. Not once, but twice. In fact, the word blessed is used two times through, uh, two times as though Jesus is trying to say that you are doubly blessed when you are persecuted. Number six, it's the only beatitude addressed directly to each and every one of us. In fact, the tense changes in this verse from blessed are those in verse 10, and then it says in verse 11, what? Blessed are you. The last time I spoke on the Beatitudes, I focused in on the applause that comes from heaven when we do the hard work of making peace in the midst of conflict. I told you, it's the difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Which one does God call us to? The peacemaker. Because we said that the peacekeeper, what does he do? 
when confronted with conflict, we often just basically, okay. Then we look the other way or we'll talk about that person. But the peacemaker is different because the peacemaker says, I love you too much. God has commanded me to love you enough to say, I'm going to stand my ground. And if I have to say brother and sister, there is something that's going on and we've got to talk about it, then let it be. You see, the peacekeeper says, I do everything to keep the peace. The peacemaker says, I do everything to help ensure that we make peace. And so one shies away while the other one engages. So, I want to suggest that it may seem out of place that Jesus, write this down, moves from peacemaking to persecution, from harmony to hostility. And I want to be very clear. Attempts at reconciliation succeed, don't always succeed. You can try as hard as you want, but if the other person is not willing to be reconciled, it makes no difference. Sometimes there will come a time where there will not be reconciliation. Peace will not take place. And it is no different for the people of God. There will come a day where we will not be able to maintain the peace with the people around us. And the lines will be drawn. And we will have to make a choice. Do we want peace? At the cost of our salvation? Or do we say, here I stand. I can do no other. I will not betray my Lord. People, that day is coming. In fact, you can take this to the bank. If we live according to the first Seven Beatitudes. Let me suggest that we will automatically experience the eighth Beatitude. It's like an equation. If you are the person of verse 7, I mean verse 3 to 9 of Matthew chapter 5, you will get the persecution of verses 10 to 12. Do the math. You see, let me put it to you this way. If you are poor in spirit, some will think you are self-righteous. And when you mourn over sin, others will feel convicted and not want to be around you. The meek person might be run over. When you break out of the spiritual status quo and hunger and thirst for God, some will label you a religious fanatic. Be merciful and people will call you gullible. Strive to be pure in heart and feel the tension of a world that lives on lust. And strive to be a peacemaker and get ready for war. People, it is no coincidence that we have made evangelism the focus of this year. And you heard a plea from one of our elders saying, we're having financial difficulty. Do you think that is a coincidence? You see, the devil knows where to attack us. And for most people, our weakest spot is not here. But where? Here. The checkbook. The pocketbook. People, the war is here. Why? Simple. Because our faith begins, develops, and matures as we live 
out the first seven Beatitudes. Then, after having been faithful to these Beatitudes, our faith is tested when we come to the eighth and final Beatitude. In fact, someone who knew a lot about persecution is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. He referred to this as the extraordinariness. And speaking of the Christian life, he said the following, With every beatitude, the gulf is widened between the disciples and the people. And their call to come forth from the people becomes increasingly manifest. You see, what's hard about this beatitude, and let's be very clear, is that we all like to be liked. Come on, should get an amen from that. You mean to tell me you guys like to be the enemy? You like to be the least popular person in the room? You like to be the person that when people see you walk in, they walk out? Come on, let's be honest. We want to be liked. Who likes to be disliked? See, I bring up this point because this beatitude literally causes conflict within us because of that very nature inside of us to want to be liked. Maybe it's because of our desire for affirmation. Maybe it's because of our need to be loved. If it was Freud, he would say it's because your mother didn't love you enough. Whatever it is, we as a people, as individuals, constantly want to be liked. Maybe that's why we are peacekeepers as opposed to being peacemakers. You know, I once said this, pastor's meetings, they put us into small groups and said, we want you to basically talk about how you can be more effective so that you can be more accepted, liked by your congregation. And the exercise was given and everyone came back saying, there's no way that that can happen. We cannot have a hundred percent approval. And then one individual who was a pastor was sitting a few chairs down from me, and he raised his hand and says, I can disprove that theory. I know that it is possible to be 100% approved by your congregation. And the conference leader stood up and said, I've got to hear this. I've never had someone say that. And he said, fine, gentlemen, please stand, Pastor so-and-so, and tell me, share with us, how can a pastor be 100% approved? He said, simple. When I come, 50% are pleased. And when I leave, the other 50% are pleased. He was right. He was right. And I'll be honest to say that that is the story of every single pastor. You know, you go through and ask each and every one of you, I'm sure you've got your own favorite pastor. And you also have the pastor that you don't like. doesn't mean that you don't like them as an individual. Maybe you don't. But they're not your most favorite. You see, as pastors or as individuals, as friends, as members of a church, we want to be accepted. We want to be liked. But the truth is that God here in this beatitude is telling us, stop striving to please man. Start striving to please me. It's not about pleasing man. It's about pleasing God. And if you please God, you're going to make somebody mad. You're going to have people that are going to be angry with you. So stop trying to convince yourself that what you need to do is be more light. And start convincing yourself that what you need is to be more Christ-like. You see, what's hard about this beatitude is that we all like to be light. But it doesn't take long before we see that following Jesus is often a paradox. See, write this down. God, He applauds us when we are in agony. And He sees great purpose in our persecution. Did you catch that? There's a purpose to your persecution. You know, I have to be very honest, and I'm just going to lay it out. This sermon was not very popular for me this week. And I'll be honest with you. 
Because I'm going to say something that maybe you haven't said. I don't like to be persecuted. I don't like to not be liked. It gets under my skin. I wish I could say that I'm strong enough to say that it doesn't bother me. It does. Because I'm human just like you. And I would suggest that you're all the same. But God this week reminded me that in our persecution, there is a purpose. You know, as an interesting side note, those who were listening to Jesus probably had a real difficult time with this beatitude. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, stop and think about the disciples. What did they sign up for? Didn't they sign up to be the general for the king that would overthrow the Roman Empire? It's a totally different matter to be the person who's being burned at the stake. You see, back then it was common idea back then that all suffering, including persecution, was an indication that God was not pleased and that the one who was suffering was somehow to blame for what was happening. I remember not too long ago I had a conversation with someone. And they shared with me that they felt that, you know, sometimes our giving can be a reflection of whether we're struggling as a church. I said, that could be true. But I also want to point out that conversation, what was wrong there. Because that's exactly what we're talking about here. We tend to think that if a church, if a person isn't doing well, then that means that somehow the devil is attacking them. That somehow God is punishing them. And sometimes that may be true. But I believe that if you are following the Beatitudes... The truth is, you're going to fall on hard times. You're going to experience failure. You're going to face financial troubles. And we are facing them right now. But I would like to suggest that the reason I believe that right now we are being challenged financially and individually has to do more so with the fact that we have made it our purpose this year to do evangelism in a big way. And I choose to believe that we are paying that price. You know, this concept was particularly evident in the book of Job, was it not? (laughs) And what's interesting is that here comes Jesus... And he reverses the view completely. And as we take a look at this blessing, the blessing that no one wants, I want to share with you three paradoxes that are related to persecution. I want to share this with you today. Number one, paradox number one, persecution is a given. Right? We know that because the Bible says so, right? You see, some of us have bought into the belief that once we have Jesus in our life, everything will go right. Maybe we've even thought that we should be successful and financially well thought to do. Don't we? There's an entire new movement in our generation that defines this, does it not? Don't believe me? Watch Joel Osteen on Sunday morning. But actually, the Bible says the exact opposite will happen to those who choose to honor and obey Christ. Write this down. Jesus never taught the prosperity gospel, but he did preach the persecution gospel. People, if you're not being persecuted, there's a problem. If you are not feeling persecution, there's a problem. You see, let's look at Matthew 5.10 once again. Turn to your Bibles there again. 
And when you have it, say amen. Amen. Thank you. Good to know some are awake. Let's go to verse 10 again. It said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of what? Because of righteousness. Our own righteousness? No. Because of His righteousness. For what? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's begin with the word righteousness. You see, for righteousness, here in this text, actually refers to living the straight. And I would say the straight and narrow way. I think Dan did a good job of explaining what that was last week. It's called living according to the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments don't save us. But they affirm that we have been saved. Because if people can't see us walk the talk, then who are we? You know, John Stott, a very famous theologian, suggests that we should not be surprised if anti-Christian hostility increases, and I love this, but rather be surprised if it does not. You know, I find it fascinating to watch Tim Tebow. Not because I'm a big fan of Tim Tebow. To me, he's another football player just like any other. But what is interesting is to see a person who clearly puts out his beliefs. And boy, how have they persecuted him. They have made fun of him. I enjoy uh, listening to sports talk. And I have heard how they have literally wreaked him over the coals. How dare he talk about his religion. That is so personal. Now, regardless of what Tim Tebow believes, what I would like to suggest today is that I'm not focused in on what he believes as as much as I am focused on the fact that he stands up for what he believes. When's the last time you saw a Christian stand up for what they believe? In fact, John 15.20 says the following. Turn to your Bibles. John 15.20. Because here, God, Christ, gives us pretty much an assurance. Listen to what the assurance is. If you have it, say amen. Thank you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. In other words, God is saying, people, they did it to me. What makes you think they won't do it to you? And then in John 16:33, jump over to the next page. He adds, in this world, what? You will have what? You will have tribulation. Or another translation says, trouble. How many of you like to be troublemakers? Thank you. I knew Alex would. Thank you. I need an example. Thank you. Let's be honest. We don't like to be labeled a troublemaker, but I'm going to tell you something. Jesus said, if we're following Him, we will be labeled a troublemaker. Speaking of their futures, in Matthew 4, 24 and 9, and I'm going to read it to you. Jesus told the disciples that they would face incredible struggles. He said the following, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. You see, while we can't verify all the facts, church history and tradition tells us that disciples fared no better than Jesus Christ, their leader. In fact, we know that James, what happened to him? He was beheaded. In fact, this is interesting. It is said that on his way to being martyred, his accuser was so impressed by his courage and conviction that he repented of his sin, committed himself to Christ, and was then beheaded along with James. 
Wow. Is there a purpose to persecution? Philip, what happened to him? He was scourged, thrown into prison, and then eventually crucified. What about Matthew? Matthew was slain with what? A sword. James was stoned to death. Andrew was crucified and then left hanging on the cross for three days. Peter, we know, was crucified how? Upside down. And we know that that was at his own request. Because what? He did not feel worthy to be crucified like Christ. Jude, Thaddeus, also was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten with clubs and then, to top it off, crucified. Thomas was speared to death. Simon the Zealot, crucified as well. And then last but not least, John, the Beloved, was exiled to an island called what? Patmos, where he died a slow death as a prisoner. You see, this is echoed in Philippians 1.29 when it says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, and this is the part that catches me, but also to suffer for Him. I want to ask you something. I want you to think about this for a moment. When is the last time that you can recall that you suffered for Christ? Think about that. Oh, when you went out to pull the yard weeds when it was 95 degrees? When you went out to mow the lawn because your wife was literally telling you that it's two weeks? And our neighbors are complaining? Was it when your husband basically didn't like the food that you cooked? When was the last time you suffered for Christ? You know, I I was asking myself that question this week. I had something interesting happen to me this week. We had an individual that came by thinking he was here for the garage sale, came in and we greeted him. But I noticed something was a little different about these two individuals. It was a man and a female. What was interesting is their clothes were rattled. Some of you can testify this because you were here watching it when I met with them. And they didn't ask about the prices. They asked about who could help them. I escorted them to my office because I didn't want to talk to them in public because the things that they're sharing may be very private in nature. As I set them down at my desk, as I do many times with individuals that call or who come by seeking help, I started to ask them questions. What's going on? What has happened? Why are you here? They shared with me what was going on. They shared with me that uh, they were beaten. The money was stolen. They had gone all the way to Texas to try to find a job that was promised to them. And then when they arrived, they were out of money and still out of a job. The church was kind enough to give them some money, enough to be able to get them here. After hearing their story, I said, wow, we've got to do something to help these individuals. So quickly I got on the phone and tried to find a place for them to stay. But then they needed money for gas. So I decided I would take the church credit card. David, that's one of the receipts. That's not my gas, okay? I decided I would basically take and fill up their gas tanks so that they would have money to be able to get to where they were going there was a job hopefully waiting for them in Hutchinson, Kansas. On my way to the gasoline station, um, I was thinking about what they must be going through. You should see their car. Have you ever seen that show called Hoarders? I think they were right out of that show. If you put one more piece of paper in that vehicle, I think it would literally fall apart. It would burst. They had clothes. They had everything you could think of. 
in that vehicle. Their entire livelihood was in it. We get to the gas station and I go and I fill up their gas tank. And then as I basically um, pray with them, I say, you know, I just want you to know that um, I hope that um, God helped you to find a job and that you be okay. But I asked if I could pray with the both of them there at the gasoline station here at the quick trip, right off of the 150, right before you jump on the 71. Just as I finished that prayer, they waved and they said goodbye and they said, we'll never forget you. And I said, don't worry about forgetting me. Just remember that God is always there for you. I wasn't prepared for what happened next. A man came over and he started to share with me cuss words I hadn't heard I don't know if you've ever been confronted with a person that is so angry that you can't get in a word. And as he was literally just tearing me to pieces, I was saying, God, how dare he? Does he know that I'm a pastor of a church and I'm helping one of God's people? I mean, I said, Lord, I think I've got some, 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 some reason here to be able to go off and give him a piece of the gospel. In fact, I want to take my Bible and hit him over the head with it. I mean, I was getting really mad. I mean, I was helping somebody out. And here this guy is yelling at me and cursing at me and upset because how dare I pray in public. Then all of a sudden it hit me. Eddie, this is why I'm asking you to preach about this. Because here you have an opportunity. And even though a part of me wanted to basically hit him over the head with the Bible, all of a sudden God slapped me with the truth and said, that's not what we're supposed to be about. And so I did something that my wife would be startled by. Because she knows normally <clears throat> I'm one that I will basically rear up and I will dive in and I won't let go. But instead, I prayed, God, if you want me to endure this, hold my tongue. You know, it seems like recently I'm praying that prayer a lot. After five minutes of him literally yelling at me. I was feeling like less of a man. But I decided I would continue to pray. And just listen. And you know something amazing happened. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw an elderly lady come up and stand right in front of me. And she said, young man, you need to get on out of here. This man has done nothing to you. You got a problem? Take it somewhere else. Before she was finished with that phrase, another man came. He was a little more intimidating. He stood right next to me. And he just stood like this. You know, God taught me a lesson that moment. If we will trust in Him, God will provide and He will protect. And so we don't have to fight our own battles. We can let Him fight the battle. And I'll tell you, that old, excuse me, that elderly lady was more eloquent than any word that I could have ever said. Because before I knew it, this man turned around and took off without another word. Now, I do think it did help that the guy that was standing next to me had just gotten off a Harley Davidson chopper. <laughs> so I think her eloquence was partly because of this big guy. But the question is why is persecution so pervasive 
Well, simply put, I believe it's due to the nature of Christianity and the sinfulness of human beings. Does that make sense to you? You see, there is such a tension between the message of the life of a Christian, the mindset and the mindset of the world, that as a result, it creates an inevitable conflict. You know, this beatitude, I believe we find two reasons why we will be persecuted. Number one, write it down, because of the life we live. Because of the life we live. You see, verse 10 says, those who are persecuted because of what? Righteousness. And as Dan said last week, we are called to obey the Ten Commandments. Not because we want to earn our way to heaven, but because we want to love our way to our Savior. Because it's the way that we prove to God that we do love Him. That we are invested in that relationship. You see, some of us might feel mistreated, but it may have nothing to do with righteousness. In fact, Ray Pritchard, an author, writes it this way. If you don't use deodorant, don't claim persecution because no one wants to sit next to you at work. That makes sense, right? If you're rude to your employees or disrespectful to your boss, don't be surprised to find you eventually will be ostracized. You see, some of us, we believe we're being persecuted for righteous reasons, but it may be because we are being self-righteous. And are therefore repelling people. Another writer puts it this way. There are certain reactions we can arouse simply because we adhere to some fanatical extreme that is based on a personal or private opinion. You ever met those individuals? People, I want to be very, very clear on this. I need to be reminded of this all the time. But it is not our job to interpret the Bible. It is our job to state what the Bible says. And let the Holy Spirit be the one to be able to convict people about what the Bible says. I have made this mistake sometimes of basically saying a verse and then putting my spin on what the Bible said. People, stop that! How did Jesus respond when people came to Him? He said, what? What? As it is written. Maybe we should do a little more getting to know the Bible and less focusing in on what our opinion is. Second, second reason, because of the Lord we love. Because of the Lord we love. See, in verse 11, Jesus says that people will insult, persecute, and say false things because of me. This helps us define the word righteousness. You see, to be righteous simply means being just like Jesus. For one reason or another, some people are upset with Jesus that they take it, on, take it out on those who love Him. And I've seen that happen. But you see, Jesus was different. A world that thrives on conformity cannot tolerate Differences. You know, the early Christians knew something about this. When they were confronted with a choice, Caesar or Christ, they chose Christ. And with that choice, they were automatically what? Outlawed and branded as disloyal citizens. We will be persecuted because of the life we live and because of the Lord we love. According to verse 11, this harassment, I believe, takes three forms. 
Notice the change of text from the third person to the second. We move from those who are persecuted to the much more personal. You are persecuted. You see, God congratulates you and applauds you from heaven when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of Christ. And I say, Amen. Thank you. So let me share with you the three forms of persecution. Number one, first form of persecution, verbal insults. You see, the word insult means to chide or to taunt or to disdain. Look at Luke 6.22 when it says, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and, re- and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. People! Be thankful that you are being insulted. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I wasn't exactly thankful yesterday. So God reminded me, today's sermon is directed to me. Because I still have to work on this. You see, biblically speaking, to be insulted speaks of misrepresentation. To degrade another's reputation to slander. Friends, when you are insulted, made fun of, simply just ignored for what you believe in, let me say to you, you are on the right track. And likewise, friends, if people don't insult you, they don't make fun of you or ignore you, then maybe it's time to get on track. How? Simple. Take a stand. Take a stand. Don't shy away from sharing what you believe, but be able to share it with love. Second form of persecution is physical attack. You see, the word persecute means to chase away or pursue with hostile intent, to be hunted down as an animal. You see, the tense of the verb suggests those who have allowed themselves to be persecuted or that have endured persecution. You see, it can be defined as repeatedly raiding on another or as continually annoying somebody else. You know, it's interesting because we tend to think persecution is about life and death. And it is. But there's more than just the physical. There's also the emotional, the spiritual. In fact, one of the most famous martyrs was Polycarp. When he was dragged before the Roman authorities and given the ultimate choice to sacrifice to Caesar or be burned to death, he replied, I love this. Listen to this. Eighty And six years have I served Christ, and He has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my King who saved me? History tells us that He was then brought to the stake where He prayed His final prayer. O Lord God Almighty, the Father of Thy well-beloved and ever-blessed Son, by whom we have received the knowledge of Thee, I thank Thee that Thou hast graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour. Wow. To be counted as worthy. To pay the price with your own life. Let me further accentuate it by talking about what one writer said in describing the persecution of the Christians during that time. He said the following, All the world knows of Christians who were flung to the lions or burned at the stake, but these were kindly deaths. Nero, for example, wrapped the Christians in pitch and set them alight and used them as living torches to light his gardens. He sewed them into skins of wild animals and set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them to death. 
They were tortured on the rack. They were scraped with pincers. Molten lead was poured, hissing upon them. Eyes were torn out. Parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their very eyes. Their hands and feet were burned while cold water was poured on their heads and feet as to prolong and lengthen the agony. These things are not pleasant to think about, but these are the things a man had to be prepared for if he took a stand for Christ. And as Don will tell you, that day is coming. So what about today? Is persecution a thing of the past? You're right, it's not. You see, intense persecution takes place in our world today. In fact, just a few days ago, 48 people, including women and children, attempted to take refuge in a church in Nigeria and were shot to death by militants. According to an article that just appeared in Christianity Today, more than 50 house church leaders have been arrested in China following the release of a DVD and a book about the stunning growth and vibrancy of Christianity in that country. Amazingly, these believers ask not for their release, but for strength. third form of persecution. False accusations. Third form of persecution. False accusations. You see, after verbal assaults and physical pursuit, followers of Christ will also face those who falsely say all kinds of evil, the Bible says. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been on the receiving end of someone saying something false and hurtful, It does not feel good. Can I get an amen to that? It doesn't. In fact, David himself, the psalmist, knew something about this because in Psalm 3511, he actually spoke about this. He said, false witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. Jesus himself faced charges as well. And according to 1 Peter 2.23, And this is what I find amazing. And I was speaking to someone and they reminded me of this the other day. When he was faced with these false accusations, 1 Peter 2.23 says, He did not retaliate. You see, some people like to say things behind our backs. But remember, they did the same to Jesus as his enemies tried to destroy his good name. Here's paradox number two. Persecution, write it down, is a gift. Persecution is a gift. You see, most of us can agree that persecution is a given. But to say that it is a gift, I would say, is a stretch for us. Wouldn't we not agree? I mean, we are blessed when people mess with our... For our we are blessed when people mess with us for our faith. We are blessed when people mess with us because of our faith. And what we receive, the Bible tells us, as a result, is the kingdom of heaven. No one can take this from us. You know, before Stephen was stoned to death, Acts chapter 7, 755 says that he looked up to heaven. And I love this verse. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing At the right hand. Wow. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer left prison on the way to the gallows, it was reported that he said, This is the end for me, the beginning of life with my Savior. You see, God congratulates those who face persecution and gives the kingdom of heaven as a gift to those who absorb the anger and ambushes of others. You see, I believe that persecution is the trigger that God causes to pour out His blessings on our lives. I'll never forget what the martyred missionary said. I wrote it down when I heard it one day. He said the following, Jim Elliot, He is no fool 
who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. My last paradox. Paradox number three. Persecution brings gladness. You see, the third paradox is really mind-boggling. Look with me at verse 14. Look at me with verse 14 of Matthew chapter 5. Going back to our verse. Look at what it says. It says, rejoice and what? Be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, I think most of us, when we get good news, we, re- we rejoice, right? However, I want you to notice something about this verse. Look at the phrase, be glad. Did you notice the tone? Is God asking, requesting that we be glad? Is He requesting that we be glad? No. He is giving us a command. In fact, the command in the Hebrew means to leap forward with exuberant gladness. To jump with exceeding excitement. That's how Jesus puts it in Luke chapter 6 verse 23 when he says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Now, I want to share with you four reasons to rejoice when persecuted. They're real simple. Just write them down because we're going to go through them real quickly. Reason number one, persecution confirms our relationship with Him. Persecution confirms our relationship with Him. Number two, reason number two, persecution causes reliance on God. Persecution causes reliance on God. Number three, persecution cultivates righteousness from God. You see, one of the best ways to grow is to go through some grief. Reason number four. Persecution confirms our reward. Persecution confirms our reward. In the early days of the Christian church, history tells of a Christian who offended the king and was threatened with banishment because of his preaching. As he stood and faced his charges, the king asked him to reply to the charges brought against him. The Christian, after a moment of silence, replied, Sir, sire, you cannot banish me, for the world is my father's house. The king then said he would confiscate all his possessions. The Christian answered, Sire, you cannot confiscate my possessions. Because my treasures are laid up in heaven. The king was was starting to get furious and told his friends, the believer stated, Sire, you cannot relieve me from my greatest friend because he lives within me. Finally, the king shouted, Then I'll have to kill you. To which the Christian replied calmly, You can take my breath, but you can never take my life, for it is hid with God. Are you ready to be persecuted for Christ? You see, it doesn't matter that we've preached about these first seven Beatitudes. Because if you're not following them, then you won't suffer persecution. But if you follow each of the seven Beatitudes that we have been focusing in on, I guarantee you, God's Word better yet guarantees 
that you will be persecuted. And people, that is a sign of whether or not we truly are ready for His return. When we are ready to, like those who have gone before us, stand and say, Here am I. I can do no other. Let's pray. Kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we really don't know what it means to be persecuted. But I know that that day is coming sooner than we imagine. Lord, what we pray for is that you would give us not the release from persecution, but the strength to go through the persecution. Lord, help us today to take a stand for you. This is our prayer. Let God's people say, Amen.